I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Diana, a 37-year-old cisgender woman who describes herself as white, heterosexual, married, and monogamous. Diana has two children and had a traumatic birth with her eldest, which led to a disconnection from her body and her pleasure. She was able to have a vaginal birth with her younger child, which has helped her to reconnect with her body and her sexuality. I'm so pleased to introduce Diana. You reached out to me when I started posting these and you were like, I really want to do this. And I'm curious to know what got you excited about it. I think that um, talking about sex is one of those things that I wish that we did more, but there doesn't really seem to be a place to do that. You know, like I can't just go about my normal day talking about sexuality all the time, but it's always been something that I have felt like, why don't we talk about it more? I mean, it's so central to life and it's like literally what brought us on the planet. So um, I just feel like the opportunity to talk about sex is really exciting and fun. And I, um, I think what you're doing is really important. I think that we need to hear particularly women um, of all kinds talking about their um, experience with their sex lives and with their own sexuality. So I guess I'm just really excited about what you're doing and I am excited to be a part of it in some small way if I can. Well, I'm so excited that you're here. So thank you so much for saying yes and for stepping up to talk about this fun subject. Yeah, (laughs) it really is fun. (laughs) It really is. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. So let's dive in. How did you discover the idea of sex? Funny. Um, you know, I don't ever remember not knowing what it was, which sounds maybe kind of strange. Like I was never exposed to pornography or anything like that at a young age. I just kind of always understood what it was for some reason. And I can remember like my mom, like having this big sex talk with me at like 13 and it was like way too young. Cause I was like, yeah, mom, I know, I know what that is. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if I just sort of absorbed what sex was like from the culture that I live in or what it was. Um, But I always knew what it was. I definitely didn't always understand what it meant or like, you know, what, what a person's sexuality is, you know, how it affects your life. Like I can remember having thoughts when I was really, really young where I was like, well, a penis and a vagina just doesn't sound fun to me. So I'm just going to not do that. (laughs) And like, I didn't understand like what it actually was. So that changed as I got older, but yeah. So when did you have your first actual sexual experience? Um, I was probably around 16. 
maybe 15 or 16. And it was my first boyfriend. And um, it was a really positive, wonderful, exploratory, fun thing. And when I say sexual experience, I mean like everything but actual sex kind of happened around that time. Sure. I feel really lucky that I was like super in love with my boyfriend and he was very invested in my pleasure and very respectful and kind. And um, it was something that I very enthusiastically wanted to do, like very enthusiastic consent. That's so awesome. And it's not a story that I've heard very often in these conversations. And particularly, I've had conversations with a few people where it sort of goes along the lines of, well, who actually has a decent sexual experience when you're 16? Like, Mm -hmm. what teenager actually knows what it is to want their partner to have pleasure? So I just heard you say that your boyfriend was really invested in your pleasure. What does that look like for a teenager? Um, He would go down on me first of all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was my first experience with that sexual act. And I was really kind of amazed that, I don't know how amazing it felt and how excited he was about it. And he was like the first person that I think I even discovered orgasms with. Actually, I can remember just like making out with him, like sitting on his lap, kind of facing him with like my legs around his body. And we were totally fully clothed. And something about the way I was like rubbing against him or touching him made me come and it like shocked him. And then it like shocked me and we didn't really know what it just happened. (laughs) So it was, it was just, it was, our relationship was like that. It was really fun, really sweet, really like, Ooh, this is new. Wow. That's new. Whoa. That was cool. (laughs) Yeah. And you're right. I do feel, I rarely hear that, especially from women that like, their first sexual experience was a really positive one. And I feel so lucky that um, that's part of my story because I really feel like it set a foundation for me to have really high expectations from anyone that I dated or had sex with going forwards. Um, And yeah, I just, I feel really blessed. That is so cool. Had you discovered masturbation before you had those sexual experiences with him? I was just thinking about this before the call. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I first had an orgasm with him and then kind of figured it out on my own, how to do it on my own. Uh huh. Did masturbation become an important part of your sort of personal sex life as time went on? Yes. I I think that masturbation is really important self-care. I think it's a wonderful tool to get to know yourself better. And, um, you know, as we get older, we change, our bodies change. And it's really fun to like, like watch that and sort of like, okay, now this is different. Okay, now that's different. You know, you have to sort of know how to do it yourself before anyone else does, I guess. At least that's how I feel. So it's really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but is it still part of your sex life now that you're in a long-term marriage? Oh, yeah, definitely. What part does it play in your sex life with your partner? (sighs) Masturbation is purely like my own thing. Like when I want to relax, show myself some love, have some (laughs) Diana time alone with myself, that's (laughs) what it is for me. Like I don't really do that with my partner because I don't know, it just doesn't really 
it feels like it's like my own thing, you know? Yeah. And is he supportive of that? Or is it something that you do outside? Like, does he even know? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, You know, I guess we both have the mentality that everybody masturbates, and it's a good thing. Um, We're raising boys now. And it's been really interesting to see the way that they kind of just naturally find their way to it, even though they're still pretty young, and they're not, you know, sexual yet. Or I don't know, maybe they are. But um, yeah, we have a pretty, like, very, like, everybody masturbates, you know, idea about it. So yeah. Yeah. So when, how old are your boys? They're three and six. Oh, okay. So they're still quite young. Yeah. Um, But you notice them touching themselves or exploring? Yeah, I do notice that. And it's been uh, interesting, because, um, you know, I knew that at some point, I'd have to have a conversation with them about it, but I didn't think it would be this young. And it's really weird to, you know, it's so it's so sweet, too, because it's so innocent. You can tell that they are just like, wow, it's my penis. Wow, this is really interesting. It kind of feels good if I do this, you know, and it's not like directed at anybody or directed at anything. It's just a an exploratory thing. Um, and so it's been interesting to have to quickly figure out, oh, this is something that I'm going to have to address. And um you know, obviously not shame them. But you know, like I, I, I've with one of my sons, I've had to say, you know, this is something that's private, you know, it's okay to touch yourself. But, um, you know, you can't do it in front of other people. (laughs) I just didn't expect to have that conversation this quickly. (laughs) And how did he respond to that? Um, I think he gets it. You know, he's so little, like, it's hard, it's hard to know, like, how much of it sinks in. But I think, I think he gets it. And, you know, it sort of, you know, honestly, it doesn't feel very different from any other thing that as a parent, I'm trying to tell him, you know, like, hey, maybe try to share your toys or, you know, whatever it is, like, it's kind of just another thing that I'm hoping he's absorbing. <laughs> share your toys, but don't share your penis. <laughs> oh, brilliant. You should put that on a t-shirt. That's brilliant. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So we we talked a little bit about your very first boyfriend as you grew up a little bit as you moved into your late teens and early 20s. What kinds of experiences were you having? I had a lot of fun in my late teens and college years and early 20s um, dating and having sex with lots of different men. Like I said before, I can honestly say that all of my experiences were um, enthusiastically consented to something that I really wanted. And I, I just feel so lucky for that. So consent has become such a big topic lately in the era of Me Too. Um, as a teenager and as a woman in her early 20s, what did enthusiastic consent look like for you? Great question. Hmm. Part of the answer to your question is that I'm somebody who has a large libido and has always really loved sex. And I also um, have never really felt like there's anything wrong with that. You know, despite having a really conservative Christian upbringing, all of that stuff never really stuck to me. And I always felt like if this is something that I love and I'm enthusiastic about, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be safe about it. And, um, 
that was just my experience. Does that answer your question about consent? I don't know if I really answered it, but. Absolutely. Um, it makes me wonder, were there times when you were in a situation where you needed or wanted to say no? And how did you accomplish that? Um, because even with somebody with a high libido still has times when, yeah. for whatever reason, it's not the right thing. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, in my long-term partnership, there have been times um, like, say, for example, if I'm, you know, have just had a baby and not really in a space where I, you know, either have the energy for sex, either emotionally or physically, or don't want to be penetrated or just don't really feel like I can go there. That's the, those are the times that come to mind where I where I have said no, and um, I think that that's certainly a lot easier to do in a long term partnership because the relationship's just different than if you're dating someone. I'm trying to think. Um, I'm sure I've said no to people that I wasn't partnered with, but I can't think of any specific time that I have. Honestly, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sure, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned that you grew up in a conservative Christian home. What kinds of messages did you hear about sex when you were growing up? That it was for a man and a woman only, only within the confines of marriage, and anything outside of that bubble was dangerous and sinful. That was wow. it. It was very strict, very conservative. And also there was an unspoken expectation that I would be a virgin till I got married for sure. That was just like the expectation. And I can remember thinking as a young person, like, wow, that sounds like a really bad idea. <laughs> really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> For obvious reasons. <laughs> so um, if you were not, I heard you say that those sort of ideas didn't stick for you. But how did you navigate that while you were still living under your parents' roof? Or, you know, as you got a lot, little bit older, maybe we're still being supported by them. And you were out having your own fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how did you navigate that? Um, I think by the time that I had that first boyfriend and I was starting to explore sex, I was pretty good at just like not letting them into that part of my life. Um, I can remember a few times where I was out super, super late and got into really big trouble, but, um, you know, they never thought I was having sex. It just like kind of wasn't on their radar for me. Um, yeah, it was, it's always been a very separate thing in our relationship that my parents just didn't ever suspect or know about it. And, you know, I've always been fine keeping it that way. So Mm -hmm. I assume you were not a virgin when you got married. No, I was not. (laughs) (laughs) So what about messages about your body separate from sex? One of the things that I'm really interested in diving further into is how our relationship with our body affects our relationship with sex. So what were you hearing or feeling about your body as a young person? And how did that affect your early sexual experiences? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I always definitely really internalize the idea that my exterior appearance, my being beautiful or attracted to, attractive to men was really, really important. And it 
the way that I saw myself through the male gaze, um, like affected me, like it affected, um, sometimes even how much I wanted sex, which is like kind of shocking to hear me say out loud, but it's true. You know, I, I feel like it's almost impossible to escape those, the, those types of messages in our culture. And it definitely seeped into my skin. So when you were with your first boyfriend, were there concerns about how you looked to him? Did that affect your sexual interaction with him? No, I was so excited to be with him and so like in love with him and having so much fun. I genuinely didn't think about it. I really didn't. I just wanted to be there. Mm -hmm. And what about as you got a little bit older? Um, as I, as I've gotten older, that's shifted a bit for me, um, especially after becoming a mom and like becoming a mom changes so much. It changes, you know, your body, not just the way that your body looks, but just the way that it is and the way that it's seen in the world and the way that you're, you know, you go from maiden to mother from like something that is, you know, like available to like, oh, a woman carrying a baby around, um, that has that has been a really interesting shift for me. In what way? Um, every time that I've gone through pregnancy and birth, it has felt to me like going through puberty again in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, like puberty is this massive shift where everything changes and your body is doing something totally new that you're like, whoa, that's new. Um, whoa, these are different. And <laughs> <laughs> and and that happens every time. I've become a mother, like not the first time, not only the first time, but also the second time. And so I've had to like figure out my new relationship with this new body every single time. And I'm not talking about like looking different necessarily. I'm talking about like actually having a body that works differently and um, an identity that has shifted a lot each time. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and I'd love to hear more about it. Like, how does your, if you, if your body is acting for some period of time, primarily as a source of nurturing and even feeding your children, how does that affect how you feel toward your body as a sexual object? It affected me personally uh, very profoundly. Um, I found that, especially during um, the breastfeeding years, that it was really, really hard to shift out of that focus of um, I'm a nurturing, you know, lactating mother to, oh, now, you know, like I'm hot, I'm sexy, let's have sex. That's, it's really hard mentally, for me at least, um, to quickly make that shift. And then you add in like having a lot less time just to yourself. You know, sometimes to get out of mom mode, you just need like a second to yourself to breathe and like, and, like switch gears, but it's really hard to find that time when you mm-hmm. have kids. So it, it it's had a huge effect on me. Um, but that's why I say that it's been a shift every time. So while you know, motherhood really affects or has affected my own sense of my sexual identity and who I am as a sexual being, I've found that like, it just shifts. You just got to kind of find what's the new version of me that is all of these things that is 
a sexual being and also a mother and a nurturer. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life, and together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. I assume, especially as the mother of boys, your body is probably to some degree a jungle gym (laughs) for them. It is. And how do you reclaim your bodily autonomy during those moments when you're not in mom mode? Uh, That has been challenging. Um, For me personally, that requires alone time where no one needs anything from me. I think I tend to be a little bit more of an introvert in that way. I have some specific tools, like yoga has always been a tool for me to help me get back into my body and breathing and just with myself. That really helps me. Um, But yeah, it just takes alone time. You got to be able to like detach a little bit to make that shift. And... With your husband, um, let's say you are lactating and maybe your breasts are a little bit larger or engorged. I don't even know if I'm using the proper terminology. I've never been a mom. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> but um, it, I assume that that is something that a male would look at and be like, ooh, that's hot. And so how do you navigate like, okay, these breasts are both trying to feed a child and now you want what from them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I say that in a kind way, honestly. Um, and it does absolutely feel like when you're breastfeeding that your breasts belong to that baby. 
And like anyone else trying to touch them is just like, ah, way, 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 way too much. At least for me personally, you know, I'm sure not all women feel that way, but it definitely felt that way to me. And um, I just said to my partner, like, hey, this is just kind of off limits for me for a while. I'm sure that's going to change. But for right now, it just doesn't feel, I said like, you know, my breasts just don't feel sexual to me right now at all. They just feel like they're feeding Mm -hmm. my kids. And how did he respond to that? Oh, well, uh, I think that he would probably not describe himself as a breast man. (laughs) Like that's like not his primary focus in general. So it worked out okay, I guess, in the long run. (laughs) And how long did it take for you to get to a place where you could view your breasts as sexual objects again, if maybe you're even there yet? (sighs) You know, I'm getting there. Uh, My youngest is actually still breastfeeding. He's Mm -hmm. three. So, um, you know, we're kind of at that phase where like, we could both you know, I'm, I would be happy to drop that breastfeeding relationship with him, but he's very attached. And so I'm just sort of going with it for now. So I'm not quite there yet, but it, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen um, once he's completely done nursing, because I know that's going to be the time I think where I'm going to like get my mm-hmm. breasts back. Yeah. You know, so what about, um, Making love, intercourse, that whole, more than just the breast, but the whole body experience after having gone through birth. Um, the thing that really surprised me is that I honestly feel like sex got better. Mm. Like penetrative penis and vagina sex to me now after two kids feels even better than before I had children. I think there's this like idea that childbirth can, I don't know, stretch you out or something weird like that. But um, that has not been my experience at all. I, the physical experience of it feels deeper and better and um, orgasms feel better too. But that's only the physical part. You know, I think um, the other thing that has shifted and I'm still, you know, I'm speaking from a place of still being in really early parenthood still, but it's hard to have time, you know, like we don't really have as much time as we used to have. um, And we don't have as much access to spontaneity, you know, so we sort of have to be a little bit more prescriptive about it. But I'm sure that will shift and change too. Mm. Were you did you have vaginal births? Or did you have uh, C section births? Uh, My first baby was a C section. And my second baby was uh, born at home a vaginal birth. Okay. So were were those different for you in terms of being able to resume a sexual relationship after the birth? Yes, definitely. And again, surprisingly, the first time, um, it was way more difficult for me to resume having sex, having the C-section birth. You would probably think it would be the other way around, but it was that birth in particular was a really traumatic birth that left me with um, PTSD and some uh, pretty severe emotional trauma. And I think that more than the physical experience of that birth, um, emotionally, I left that experience very shattered and very much out of my body, if that makes sense. You know, I think anybody who goes through a traumatic and perhaps violating experience, you'll sort of like leap out of your body because your body doesn't feel safe. 
So for a long time after that birth, I just didn't feel safe in my body. And it was really hard to get back into my body and um, feel okay again in my own skin, which is obviously essential to having connected good sex. Yeah. So then the second time, and then the second time was interesting because um, that birth was an incredibly healing, beautiful, positive experience. But he was born vaginally, so like the you know the, the mechanics of it were a little bit different, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the the my ability to come back and feel you know sexual and in my body and and back to my normal non-pregnant womanly self happened a lot quicker that time. Fascinating. So you've mentioned that yoga is one of the tools that you use um, for self-care. What are some of the other things that you did after that traumatic birth to eventually bring yourself back into your body? Well, it took me, first of all, it took me a really long time to actually acknowledge and realize how traumatized I was. And that first year of being a brand new mom, I was really just focused on feeding my child, trying to get sleep, just sort of functioning. And the kind of low level depression and PTSD that I had from that birth made it hard to even recognize that there was healing work that I had to be done. I did a lot of journaling. I did a lot of body-based things. Like for me, I have already mentioned yoga, but like exercise is also really helpful for me to like move energy and get back into my body. And um, I did some some therapy that was helpful too, but I didn't really find, it's hard to find a therapist that understands birth trauma. Mm. It's kind of a unique trauma that a lot of people don't understand. But to be honest with you, the, the most healing thing for me personally was that second birth, mm-hmm. like getting to a place where I had that second baby and it was such a healing experience. I really feel like my child just gave me that gift. That was the most healing thing that I could have received. Wow. That's lovely. Before we started recording, I asked you what your um, current relationship style is or your preferred relationship style is. And you said monogamous Sort of. <laughs> so I'd love to hear what what's going on in your sex life currently. Um, well, I am monogamous, but the the way the reason that I answered that question in that sort of wishy washy way is because I think that if I were single now, um, at thirty seven, I would probably be looking at other. I will say seeking other types of situations. I think I would be really interested in having open relationships. I know a lot of people who are in them and I see a lot of awesomeness to that. I also think I would really want to date women if I if I had the chance to do so. And that hasn't always been the case, but it's just like something about growing older. I think if I were single now, I would be wanting to explore all that. And is that, a, do you see that ever becoming a possibility within the confines of your current relationship? Or is your relationship really strictly monogamous? I don't know. I, th- you know, I think my partnership is like really, really deeply important to me. My relationship with my partner is very, it's like the most important thing to me in my life. And it might be relevant to say that before he and I were married, I was uh, married briefly and divorced before I was with my current partner. And that experience 
really made me go, I don't ever want to go through that ever again. Mm. Like ever. I'm not, I like this relationship I'm in. I want, I mean, there's no guarantees in life, but I want to be in it forever. I really do. I really love him. He's my best friend. And um, so this is a long rambly way of saying (laughs) that, um, you know, anything's possible, but my primary concern is that I don't, I would never want to do anything that destabilized us. And that's something that, you know, I think I would have to consider. I think that's really interesting. The the sex advice columnist, Dan Savage, talks a lot about what is the price of admission you're willing to pay for mm-hmm. your um, for your relationship. And so it sounds like there are some things that you are potentially interested in, but the price of admission that you are absolutely willing to pay to be in your current relationship and preserve the the primacy of it is to not explore those things. Yes. And I think that that is such a valid choice. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it doesn't feel like it is taking anything away from you. Yeah, it definitely doesn't feel that way to me. No, it feels good. Good. So let's talk about how sex has developed in your primary relationship or in your current relationship. How was it at the beginning? And how has it changed to where it is today? Wow. Um, I mean, at the beginning, we had so much sex (laughs) all of the time. I mean, I really feel like that was the glue that brought us together. Um, We actually met on like a kink site, which is kind of interesting because I I don't really identify as a kinky person, but at the time I was really interested in just like exploring, you know, I was single, I was like out of a marriage. I just wanted to see what was out there and that's how we met. And so, you know, the, the, the foundation of our relationship has always been a really strong sexual connection. And, um, it has shifted, you know, it, it, the, the biggest shifts happen after children. I think that we're in a place right now where there is a time where there was less sex, especially when the kids are really young. And we're in a place right now where we're starting to um, come back to it, like come back to the foundations of what really brought us together. We've been together almost 10 years and he's still like, super hot to me. I mean, like I still check him out. I just, nothing, <laughs> nothing about my attraction to him or my desire for him has changed in 10 years, which is really wonderful. It's just like our time. It's really just our time is totally different now. So yeah. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. 
Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we finish up, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions we'd usually be too polite to ask any good girl. What kind of touch do you enjoy most? Slow touch. And I've often thought if I were to like give advice to straight men like any sex advice it would be whatever you're doing just slow it down a little bit whatever it is it doesn't even matter are there sexual things you've tried that you never want to do again Ooh, uh yes coming on my face i don't enjoy have you ever had a sexual urge that confused you yeah lots of them i would say i mean um being a little bit interested in having sex with a woman is a little confusing, like, oh, that's new. It's not something I've explored, but it's something, you know, that felt a little confusing the first time I felt it. Yeah. Have you ever done anything with women? Have you ever made out with a woman or anything? Mm No. No. So it's totally virgin territory for you. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) How often do you masturbate? Um, Probably once a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you ever had feelings for two people at the same time? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and how have you handled that? I have uh, dated both of them at the same time. Um, I've been a cheater in the past, too. Um, and both of those things didn't really feel good to me. Um, didn't really feel good to date two people openly at the same time with all parties' knowledge. And it also felt horrible cheating. That's another thing that I'll never do again. What brought you to the point of saying, I want to seek sex and companionship outside of the relationship I'm in? I think that um, the relationship that I was in wasn't 
really great, but it also wasn't terrible. Like I, it wasn't abusive or, you know, um, bad, but it, it also wasn't great for me. Um, and I definitely felt a little bit trapped and I, um, fully completely own up to how irresponsible and, um, you know, what a cowardly, dumb decision it was to get out of that relationship by cheating. But if I'm being completely honest with you, it was a way for me to exit this relationship in a super immature way. I was also pretty young. Not that that gives me an excuse, but I was pretty young. And I um, see now that for what it was, but that at the time, that's why I did it really. Well, Diana, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for really being so open. It's been a real joy to talk with you. Thanks. I I think the work that you're doing is really important and I feel really honored that you invited me to be a little part of it today. So thank you so much, Leah. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at goodgirlstalk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. Mm-hmm.